Helen's Babies, Part 8. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Kara Schallenberg. Helen's Babies by John Haberton, Part 8. The next morning would have struck terror to the heart of any one but a newly accepted lover. Rain was falling fast, and in that steady, industrious manner which seemed to assert an intention to stick closely to business for the whole day. The sky was covered by one impenetrable leaden cloud, water stood in pools in the streets which were soft with dust a few hours before. The flowers all hung their heads like vagabonds who had been awake all night and were ashamed to face the daylight. Even the chickens stood about in dejected attitudes, and stray roosters from other poultry-yards found refuge in Tom's coop without first being subjected to a trial of strength and skill by Tom's gamecock. But no man in my condition of mind could be easily depressed by bad weather. I would rather have been able to drive about under a clear sky, or lounge under the trees, or walk to the post-office in the afternoon by the road which passed directly in front of Mrs. Clarkson's boarding-house, but man should not live for himself alone. In the room next mine were slumbering two wee people to whom I owed a great deal, who would mourn bitterly when they saw the condition of the skies and ground. I would devote myself to the task of making them so happy that they would forget the absence of sunshine out of doors. I would sit by their bedside and have a story ready for them the moment they awoke, and put them in such a good humour that they could laugh, with me, at cloud and rain." I began at once to construct a story for their especial benefit. The scene was to be a country residence on a rainy day, and the actors two little boys who should become uproariously jolly in spite of the weather. Like most people not used to story-making, my progress was not very rapid. In fact, I had got no farther than the plot indicated above, when an angry snarl came from the children's room. "'What's the matter, Budge?' I shouted, dressing myself as rapidly as possible. Ow yang umwaga was the somewhat complicated response. What did you say, Budge? Didn't say nothing. Oh, that's what I thought. Didn't thought. Budge, Budge, be good. Don't want to be good. Yah. Let's have some fun, Budge. Don't you want to frolic? No, I don't think frolic is nice. "'Don't you want some candy, Budge?' "'No, you ain't got no candy, I believe. "'Well, you shan't have any if you don't stop being so cross.' "'The only reply to this was a mighty and audible rustling of the bedding in the boy's room, "'followed by a sound strongly resembling that caused by a slap. "'Then came a prolonged wail resembling that of an ungreased wagon-wheel. "'What's the matter, Toddy?' "'Budge slapped me! Ah!' "'What made you slap your brother, Budge?' "'I didn't!' "'You did!' screamed Toddy. "'I tell you I didn't. You're a naughty bad boy to tell such lies, Toddy.' "'What did you do, Budge?' I asked. "'Why, why, I was—I was, I was turnin' over in bed, and my hand was out, and it tumbled against to Toddy. That's what.' By this time I was dressed and in the boys' room. Both my nephews were sitting up in bed, Budge looking as sullen as an old jailbird, and Toddy with tears streaming all over his face. 
"'Boys,' said I, "'don't be angry with each other. "'It isn't right. "'What do you suppose the Lord thinks "'when he sees you so cross to each other?' "'He don't think nothin', said Budge. "'You don't think he can look through a black sky like that, do you?' "'He can look anywhere, Budge, "'and he feels very unhappy "'when he sees little brothers angry with each other.' "'Well, I feel unhappy, too. "'I wish there wasn't never no old rain nor nothin'. "'Then what would the plants and flowers do for a drink, "'and where would the rivers come from for you to go sailing on?' "'I want to make mud pies,' added Toddy. "'You's a naughty boy, Budge.' "'And here Toddy's tears began to flow afresh. "'I ain't a bad boy, and I don't want no old rain nohow, "'and that's all about it.' "'and I don't want to get up, and Maggie must bring me up my breakfast in bed.' "'Boo-hoo!' wept Toddy. "'Wants my brepspup in bed, too.' "'Boys,' said I, "'now listen. "'You can't have any breakfast at all unless you are up and dressed by the time the bell rings. "'The rising bell rang some time ago. "'Now dress like good boys, and you shall have some breakfast, "'and then you'll feel a great deal nicer, "'and then Uncle Harry will play with you and tell you stories all day long.' Budge crept reluctantly out of bed and caught up one of his stockings, while Toddy again began to cry. "'Toddy!' I shouted. "'Stop that dreadful racket and dress yourself. What are you crying for?' "'Well, I feels bad.' "'Well, dress yourself, and you'll feel better.' "'Want you to dress me?' "'Bring me your clothes, then, quick.' Again the tears flowed copiously. "'Don't want to bring him," said Toddy. "'Then come here,' I shouted, dragging him across the room and snatching up his tiny articles of apparel. I had dressed no small children since I was rather a small boy myself, and Toddy's clothing confused me somewhat. I finally got something on him when a contemptuous laugh from Budge interrupted me. "'How are you going to put his shirt on under them things?' queried my oldest nephew." Budge, I retorted, how are you going to get any breakfast if you don't put on something besides that stocking? The young man's countenance fell, and just then the breakfast bell rang. Budge raised a blank face, hurried to the head of the stairs, and shouted, Maggie! What is it, Budge? Was was that the rising bell or the breakfast bell? Twas the breakfast bell. There was dead silence for a moment, and then Budge shouted, "'Well, we'll call that the risin' bell. You can ring another bell for breakfast pretty soon when I get dressed.' Then this volunteer adjuster of household affairs came calmly back and commenced dressing in good earnest, while I laboured along with Toddy's wardrobe. "'Where's the button-hook, Budge?' said I. "'It's—I—oh, um, I put it—' "'Say, Todd, what did you do with the button-hook yesterday?' "'Didn't have no button-hook,' asserted Toddy. "'Yes, you did. Don't you remember how he was playing draw teeth, "'and the doctor's dog had the toothache, "'and I was pulling his teeth with the button-hook, "'and you was my little boy, and I gived the tooth-puller to you to hold for me? "'Where did you put it?' "'I'd know,' replied Toddy, "'putting his hand in his pocket and bringing out a sickly-looking toad.' "'Feel again,' said I, throwing the toad out the window, where it was followed by an agonizing shriek from Toddy. Again he felt, and his search was rewarded by the tension-screw of Helen's sewing-machine. Then I attempted some research myself, and speedily found my fingers adhering to something of a sticky consistency. 
I quickly withdrew my hand, exclaiming, "'What nasty stuff have you got in your pocket, Toddy?' "'Tain't nasty stuff. It's bread and yasses, and it's nice, and Budge and me has little tea parties in de kitchen coop, and we eats it, and it's dovely.' All this was lucid and disgusting, but utterly unproductive of button-hooks, and meanwhile the breakfast was growing cold. I succeeded in buttoning Toddy's shoes with my fingers, splitting most of my nails in the operation. I had been too busily engaged with Toddy to pay any attention to Budge, who I now found about half-dressed, and trying to catch flies on the window-pane. Snatching Toddy, I started for the dining-room, when Budge remarked reprovingly, "'Uncle Harry, you wasn't dressed when the bell rang, and you oughtn't to have any breakfast.' "'True enough. I was minus collar, cravat, and coat. Hurrying these on, and starting again, I was once more arrested. "'Uncle Harry, must I brush my teeth this morning?' "'No, hurry up. Come down without doing anything more, if you like. But come. It'll be dinner-time before we get breakfast.' Then that imp was moved, for the first time that morning, to something like good nature, and he exclaimed with a giggle, "'My, what big stomachs we'd have when we got done, wouldn't we?' At the breakfast-table Toddy wept again, because I insisted on beginning operations before Budge came. Then neither boy knew exactly what he wanted. Then Budge managed to upset the contents of his plate into his lap, and while I was helping him clear away the debris, Toddy improved the opportunity to pour his milk upon his fish, and put several spoonfuls of oatmeal porridge into my coffee-cup. I made an early excuse to leave the table, and turn the children over to Maggie. I felt as tired as if I had done a hard day's work, and was somewhat appalled at realizing that the day had barely begun. I lit a cigar, and sat down to Helen's piano. I am not a musician, but even the chords of a hand-organ would have seemed sweet music to me on that morning. The music-book nearest to my hand was a church hymn-book, and the first air my eye struck was Greenville. I lived once in a town where, on a single day, a peddler disposed of thirty-eight accordions, each with an instruction-book in which the same air under its original name was the only air. For years after, a single bar of this air awakened the most melancholy reflections in my mind, but now I forgave all my musical tormentors as the familiar strains came comfortingly from the piano-keys. But suddenly I heard an accompaniment, a sort of reedy sound, and, looking around, I saw Toddy again in tears. I stopped abruptly and asked, "'What's the matter now, Toddy?' "'Don't want dat old tune. Watch dancin' tune, so I can dance.' I promptly played Yankee Doodle, and Toddy began to trot around the room with the expression of a man who intended to do his whole duty. Then Budge appeared, hugging a bound volume of St. Nicholas. The moment Toddy espied this, he stopped dancing and devoted himself anew to the task of weeping. "'Toddy!' I shouted, springing from the piano-stool. "'What do you mean by crying at everything? "'I shall have to put you to bed again "'if you're going to be such a baby.' "'That's the way he always does, rainy days,' explained Budge. "'Wants to see the whale what followed Jonah,' sobbed Toddy. "'Can't you demand something that's within the range of possibility, Toddy?' "'I mildly asked. "'The whale Toddy means is in this big red book. "'I'll find it for you,' said Budge.' 
turning over the leaves. Suddenly a rejoicing squeal from Toddy announced that Leviathan had been found, and I hastened to gaze. He was certainly a dreadful-looking animal, but he had an enormous mouth, which Toddy caressed with his pudgy little hand, and kissed with tenderness, murmuring as he did so, "'Dee, old whale, I loves you. Is Jonah all gonded out of you, tummock whale? I fixed twas weal mean in Jonah to get foed up when you hadn't nothin' else to eat, poor old whale.' "'Of course Jonah's gone,' said Budge. "'He went to heaven long ago, pretty soon after he went to Nineveh and done what the Lord told him to do. Now swing us, Uncle Harry.' The swing was on the piazza, under cover from the rain, so I obeyed. Both boys fought for the right to swing first, and when I decided in favor of Budge, Toddy went off weeping, and declaring that he would look at his dear whale anyhow. A moment later his wail changed to a piercing shriek, and running to his assistance I saw him holding one finger tenderly and trampling on a wasp. "'What's the matter, Toddy?' Oh, ee, I putted my finger on a wops, and ooh, the nasty wops, ooh, bited me, and I don't like wopses a bit, but I likes whales, ooh, ee. A happy thought struck me. Why don't you boys make believe that big packing box in your playroom is a whale, said I. A compound shriek of delight followed the suggestion, and both boys scrambled upstairs, leaving me a free man again. I looked remorsefully at the table full of books which I had brought to read, and had not looked at for a week. Even now my remorse did not move me to open them. I found myself instead attracted toward Tom's library, and conning the titles of novels and volumes of poems. My eye was caught by Initial, a love story which I had always avoided, because I had heard impressionable young ladies rave about it. But now I picked it up and dropped into an easy chair." Suddenly I heard Mike the coachman shouting, "'Go away from there, will ye? Ah, ye little spalpeen, it's good for ye that your father don't see ye perched up there. Go away from that, or I'll be tellin' your uncle.' "'Don't care for nasty old uncle,' piped Toddy's voice. I laid down my book with a sigh and went into the garden. Mike saw me and shouted, "'Mr. Burton, will ye look there? Did yez ever see the like o' dat by?' Looking up at the playroom window, a long, narrow sort of loophole in a gothic gable, I beheld my youngest nephew standing upright on the sill. "'Toddy, go in, quick!' I shouted, hurrying under the window to catch him in case he fell outward. "'I can't!' squealed Toddy. "'Mike, run upstairs and snatch him in. Toddy, go on, I tell you.' "'Tell you I tan't go in,' repeated Toddy. "'Je bit bots is je whale, and I's Jonah, and ze whales fwoed me up, and I's dot to tay up here, else ze whale'll follow me a den.' "'I won't let him swallow you. Get in now, hurry,' said I. "'Will you give him a penny not to follow me no more?' queried Toddy. "'Yes, a whole lot of pennies.' "'All right. Whale, don't you follow me no more.' "'And then my Ockin Howie give you whole lots of pennies. "'You must be weal dood whale now, "'and then I buys you some tandy with your pennies, and—' "'Just then two great hands seized Toddy's frock in front, "'and he disappeared with a howl, while I, "'with the first feeling of faintness I had ever experienced, "'went in search of hammer, nails, and some strips of board "'to nail on the outside of the window-frame.' 
but boards could not be found, so I went up to the playroom and began to knock a piece or two off the box which had done duty as whale. A pitiful scream from Toddy caused me to stop. "'You're hurtin' my dee old whale! You's breakin' his tomach all open! You's a baddie man! Top hurtin' my whale! Eee!' cried my nephew. "'I'm not hurting him, Toddy,' said I. "'I'm making his mouth bigger, so he can swallow you easier.' A bright thought came into Toddy's face, and shone through his tears. "'Then he can swallow Budgie, too, and there'll be two Jonas! Ha, ha, ha! Make his mouth so big he can swallow Mike, and Zen made it little aden, so Mike can det out! Nasty old Mike!' I explained that Mike would not come upstairs again, so I was permitted to depart after securing the window. Again I settled myself with book and cigar. There was, at least for me, the extra enjoyment that comes from the sense of pleasure earned by honest toil. Pretty soon Budge entered the room. I affected not to notice him, but he was not in the least abashed by my neglect. "'Uncle Harry,' said he, throwing himself in my lap between my book and me, "'I don't feel a bit nice.' "'What's the matter, old fellow?' I asked. Until he spoke, I could have boxed his ears with great satisfaction to myself, but there is so much genuine feeling in whatever Budge says that he commands respect. "'Oh, I'm tired of playing with Toddy, and I feel lonesome. Won't you tell me a story?' "'Then what'll poor Toddy do, Budge?' "'Oh, he won't mind. He's got a dead mouse to be Jonah now, so I don't have no fun at all. Won't you tell me a story?' which one? Tell me one that I never heard before at all. Well, let's see, I guess I'll tell. Ah, sounded afar off, but fatefully. It came nearer, it came down the stairway and into the library, accompanied by Toddy, who, on spying me, dropped his inarticulate utterance, held up both hands, and exclaimed, Jonah woke he tail. True enough, in one hand Toddy held the body of a mouse, and in the other that animal's caudal appendage. There was also perceptible, though not by the sense of sight, an objectionable odor in the room. Toddy, said I, go throw Jonah into the chicken coop, and I'll give you some candy. Me too, shouted Budge, cause I found the mouse for him. I made both boys happy with candy exacted a pledge not to go out in the rain, and then, turning them loose on the piazza, returned to my book. I had read perhaps half a dozen pages when there arose and swelled rapidly in volume a scream from Toddy. Madly determined to put both boys into chairs, tie them, and clap adhesive plaster over their mouths, I rushed out upon the piazza. "'Budgie tried to eat my candy,' complained Toddy. "'I didn't,' said Budge. "'What did you do?' I demanded. "'I didn't bite it at all. "'I only wanted to see how it would feel between my teeth. "'That's all.' "'I felt the corners of my mouth breaking down "'and hurried back to the library, "'where I spent a quiet quarter of an hour "'in pondering over the demoralizing influence "'exerted upon principle by a sense of the ludicrous.' For some time afterward the boys got along without doing anything worse than make a dreadful noise, which caused me to resolve to find some method of deadening piazza floors if I ever owned a house in the country. 
in the occasional intervals of comparative quiet, I caught snatches of very funny conversation. The boys had coined a great many words whose meaning was evident enough, but I wonder greatly why Tom and Helen had never taught them the proper substitutes. Among others was the word deader, whose meaning I could not imagine. Bud shouted, "'Oh, Todd, there comes a deader. See where all them things like rooster's tails are a-shakin'? Well, there's a deader under them.' "'That's funny,' remarked Toddy. "'And see all the peoples a-comin' along,' continued Budge. "'They know about the deader, and they're goin' to see it fixed. Here it comes. Hello, deader!' "'Hey-o, deader!' echoed Toddy. "'What could deader mean?' "'Oh, here it is right in front of us,' cried Budge. "'And ain't there lots of people, and two horses to pull the deader. "'Some deaders has only one.' "'My curiosity was too much for my weariness. "'I went to the front window, and peering through, saw a funeral procession. "'In a second I was on the piazza, with my hands on the children's collars. "'A second later two small boys were on the floor of the hall. "'The front door was closed.' and two determined hands covered two threatening little mouths. End of Part 8 Read by Kara Schallenberg On January 30th, 2008 In San Diego, California